I hear myself? Hey, good morning, church. There we go. Welcome to worship this morning. It is so good to be with you on what is a fun and energetic Sunday here in our Called by Name series. We're going to be talking baptism uh, today and getting to baptize two of our own uh, in what will be just a very special time together. But as we're in the middle of this Called by Name series, we started with Mary's call at the tomb. And in Mary hearing her name, she had a mission. She had to go forth and tell the story that Christ was risen. Thomas hears his name in a resurrection experience in the upper room, and in hearing his name, he's invited to believe, and it gives him the confidence, strength, and courage to move past doubt and into a fullness of life. And today, you're going to hear your name. At least that's the goal, to be able to spend some time together talking about our identity and our baptisms as we look at Jesus's. And so I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Holy God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we ask that your spirit move among us today, that it shape our time and our understanding of your word, that your spirit move among us, that we might be able to say that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they were found to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, who is our strength and the source of all salvation. Amen. So as we are called by name in our baptism and as we are known by God, We start with an affirmation of what's not quite right about our journey as individuals. Because the truth is, we all need God's grace. We all need the grace of God in our story to work in our redemption and our transformation, to be our call and our guide, because we are incomplete. Now, throughout the generations, the church has called that incompletion, sin, and a fracture. But we see patterns of it no matter where we look. Our world is incomplete. We still see patterns of violence and the struggle of the human experience for those who long to be in relationship but are divided by centuries worth of conflict around race, around creed and tradition, around identity. We long for a world that is somehow better, and yet we are not there. The world itself is incomplete. The systems of our lives are incomplete, even our families. We haven't been the children we long to be. We haven't been the parents we wanted to be. We haven't been the neighbor that we've longed to be. The systems of our world find themselves incomplete. And even me, and even you, are incomplete in a pattern. I know for me that there are patterns in my life, there are stories in my life where I know and I feel like I am separate from that grace of God, and those temptations, those struggles in me continue to come back again. That I need to continue to work towards that perfection in love that we as Methodists are called to because I'm not all the way there yet. Out of that need for God's grace and that incompletion in who we are, the other confession is that we are incapable of getting all the way there. And Lord knows I have tried. I tried again and again in the midst of a stubborn pattern in my life, in the midst of the hopes of my life, to be exactly who I believe God wants me to be, who my parents want me to be, who my spouse wants me to be, who the church wants me to be, and I still don't get all the way there. And the same is true, the baseline for all of us, that in our incomplete relationship with God and with one another, we are incapable of overcoming it, and so we all need God's grace. It's what fills in the gap. And in the Christian confession, in our role and identity as baptized believers in faith, that serves as a means for us to know who we are in a better way. To know that in our baptisms we are made complete, that God is capable, and we all experience the grace of God. 
So we've done a couple of resurrection appearances already in the season of Easter. This time we're going to push the rewind button and go back to the baptism story of Jesus. This is what launches Jesus' ministry. All four of the Gospels tell the story of Jesus' baptism with John as a way of introducing him into the pattern and the work that his ministry will take. What allows us to have the cross and the tomb is Jesus being known in his baptism and moving, therefore, into a pattern of life where he invites the kingdom of God to be manifest in the lives of those he meets. So we're going back to the beginning in part. And I mean that with all seriousness because as we look at the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest version of that telling this morning, it happens right at the beginning of chapter 1. And so as we look at the text this morning, this is where Mark starts. He doesn't have wise men. He doesn't have birthdays. He doesn't have lineages. What Mark wants you to know is that the singular way to know Christ's work in your story is that he was baptized and sent. And it reads in this way. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God this day, thanks be to God. Now in this story of his baptism, we have a message to Jesus, yes, but it is also a message to us across the generations. Not just in the midst of our own baptism, but certainly we remember it and we reinforce it this morning. But this pattern of Jesus knowing who he is, that after 30 years of his lived experience, his baptism by his cousin John in the River Jordan serves as a transformative point for him, where he's able to launch into what comes next and to lead the life that leads to the cross and to our eternity. In that message to Jesus, in the midst of that, you have the baptism in the water. He comes up, the heavens are torn apart, and on earth day, isn't it just so beautiful to have these images of earth overlaid? Jesus in the rivers, spirits descending like doves. The Spirit of God comes, and he hears a voice that tells him as it is. The first thing, you are my son. This affirmation of his identity, his kinship to the God that infuses his ministry, his life, and indeed the core of his being is where it starts. You are my son. It is a claim to who he is. It reinforces the messages he heard in his mother's lap through all of his childhood and his hopes and aspirations as he grew into adulthood. You are my son, and there's nothing that the world will ever do to take that from you. The confession of the church is that in our baptisms, we are claimed as children of God. In the same way that Jesus hears, you are my son, in our lives, we need to know the call of God that says, you are my child. And that love and that identity is inescapable. It cannot be snatched from you. It is rooted not in who you are, but in who God is. You are my son. Second affirmation, you are the beloved. Oh, what a fantastic sentiment. I, I got to believe that warms Jesus' experience. To have some affirmation, yes, of his kinship to God in your sonship, but also a sense of relationship and longing, a depth to experience to say, you are my son, yes, but you are also the one that I love. 
amplified in our own experiences, an opportunity to hear in the voice of God. Not only are you a child of God, but you are the loved child of God. Brief anecdote. Very early part of my ministry, I had to serve about nine months as a chaplain in a CPE program, thanks to our annual conference. And while I was doing that, my wife was pregnant with Jackson, our second child. And I don't know that I'd figured everything out with being a parent with my first child, mind you, but I was sitting in an observing setting, and there were peers of my group there, and there were my supervisors, and they were all looking at me, and they knew that the day was coming close for Jackson's birth, and so the supervisor, Karen, asked me, Andy, what do you hope for for your new child? I sat there and went, uh, I don't know. And then I limped out an answer that I thought was a chance to just take a swing at a softball's pitch. And I said, I hope that Jackson knows that he is loved every day. And I was ready to move on. And I looked up, and my supervisor, Karen, was crying. And I thought I blew it. And she said, Andy, I think you need to understand the weight of what you said. There are people in the world. More often than not, there are children in the world who long to know that they are loved one day, let alone every day. There's no better gift you can give. Church, you are God's beloved. You are loved today, tomorrow, and all the tomorrows we are granted in God's creation. And then the third part, I call it the field of dreams moment. How about a catch, Dad? God says, in you I am well pleased. This is God telling the Son, I am proud of you. In the same way that so many of us long to know love, there are so many of us as children, sons and daughters, who would love to know, love to hear, or maybe have missed the chance to hear a parent say to you, I am proud of you. I am proud of who you are and who you have become. I am proud of your potential and the outcome of your life's choices. You're not only my son, you're not only the beloved, but I am proud of you. There are those of us who long for that. I'm so grateful to have grown up in a generational system where I can't help but know my people's pride. I know that my grandparents were proud of me because they told us all the time and how they lived their lives and how they shared our stories with others. I know that my mom, my dad, and my stepmom are proud of me because they tell me that in how I live my life and how I do handle my business. I know that my family is usually proud of me. And I know that my church is often proud of me. But imagine that sense of disconnect, that sense of heartbreak within our incompleteness and our longing to somehow be capable of God's grace, to be able to know that you are one who makes God proud. That should cause you to well up inside with a sense of hope and optimism. That if I am someone who is a child of God, who is loved of God, who makes God proud, there are patterns in my life, choices that I can make in my behavior and in my spirituality that can live out that truth. And so we come to a time of baptismal renewal. 
where we'll use this fount, yes, to baptize two young disciples, but also to remember our own baptisms, to use it as a chance to have this sense of identity rooted in our baptismal core. The image on the walls behind me, and it will probably be clear for you online when we move over to the fount, these strings for me remind me of the loom, where our pieces, our stories, our yarns are woven together by our baptismal identity. When we take the opportunity to renew our baptisms, it becomes a reminder of who we are and who we are called to be. Growing up in our prayers with our children each night, we'd say, thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for tomorrow. Thank you, God, for our baptisms. Our kids were baptized as infants, not unlike Evan was referencing with their two older kids. They don't remember the experience. But our hope as parents is if there ever came a day where they needed to remember their identity, they would know that there was a time when their parents stood in the gap for them and said, you are a child of God, you are beloved of God, and we are proud of you. That's what we do. So in a moment's time, after we baptize some fantastic kids, we're going to practice a baptismal renewal. Pastors are going to mark you with a sign of the cross with a simple phrase. Remember your baptism and be thankful. I thank you, God, for today. I thank you, God, for tomorrow. I thank you, God, for my baptism because I am a part of your redemption story for all the ways and times that I wasn't good enough or complete enough, where I was incapable of overcoming the gaps in my story. You stood in the gap. You offered me grace. And so I remember my baptism and I am thankful. It's a claim upon our lives, regardless of age. There are those who often ask of Methodists, why is it you baptize children who cannot accept Christ's grace and freedom for themselves? Because I believe, the church believes, that to be called by name, to have the assertion that you are a child of God, you are beloved of God, and God is proud of you, does not depend on your age. It's not about your capacity. We are incapable. It is an activity of God, and it is offered to everyone regardless of age. And so, too, should we begin to learn to hear the stories of God's grace regardless of age. I'm so excited for next Sunday. I just can't wait. Kids of our church are bringing us a musical message called Called. It's about making a difference in the world. It'll be our message time at both 9 and 10.30, and these young people, in their songs and in their acting, will tell us a story that affirms exactly what we're saying today. I am called to make a difference in the world, and I'm here to remind you that you are called to be a change maker in the world. The call of God is placed upon our lives regardless of age. Why? Because we're all called by name. We all hear at the water's edge the invitation to be more, to love more, to do more in our kingdom building because that is who God is and through us. Join me in a moment of prayer.